Serb Alper and the Team of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. With our usual Monday guest, managing editor Dave Cameron, away on assignment, we invite to this Monday edition of the podcast Mr. Bradley Woodrum. You recognize Mr. Woodrum's work not only from the pages of Fangraphs, but also from Cub Stats, D-Rays Bay, and SB Nation, Tampa Bay. Playing the role of baseballing analyst, Woodrum today takes a long look at new Oakland A's acquisition, Ioannis Cispedes, the Cuban defector who signed with the A's on Monday to a four-year and $36 million contract. In what follows, Woodrum and I discuss whether Cispedes is likely to have a role with the Oakland A's on opening day of the 2012 season, how Oakland might handle its glut of outfielders, and if said glut of outfielders will lead to a trade eventually, and we consider what offensive abilities Cespedes might bring to the A's in his first year of Major League Baseball. Beyond that, Bradley harangues me verbally, noting, for example, that there have been over 40 podcast episodes since that day in early December when I informed him that he would become a regular contributor to Fangraph's audio. Does it get awkward, listener? Yes. Is it also full of crack analysis? Indeed. It's Fangraph's audio with Bradley Woodrum, and it begins right now. Oh, right. Well, I guess uh, that's a moot point at this point, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, very much so. Yeah, very moot. Uh, but he, in fact, he did sign with the A's, I believe, a uh, four years, $36 million guaranteed major league contract. Does that sound? Mm-hmm. That is correct. That sounds correct. Good. Um, mm-hmm. And now, there are a couple strange things about the signing, uh, just uh, superficially. And I'll let you get uh, into the uh, what we call um, – Hardcore analysis uh, momentarily. Okay. Uh, uh, we know um, we know that the A's typically do not uh, sign. Uh, I guess what we might call sort of uh, premier free agents. Uh, I mean, four years. Or free agents in general, yeah. Right. Yeah, and in fact, like probably the last. I guess probably the last sizable deal they made, uh, not counting like the Ben Sheets signing last year, was yeah. probably the or their acquisition of Matt Holiday. Um, mm. from Colorado, which I guess was a trade uh, involving Carlos Gonzalez, I'm guessing, if if, uh, if no one else. Um, and that was surprising because that was not too long after they had gotten rid of um, their, their sort of big three starting uh, starting pitchers. Do, do you see any sort of analog between this situation now with Cespedes and that, and that with Holiday, or, or how is it different? Well, it seems different, first of all, because – the uh, athletics were trading for holiday. They weren't actually signing him. Um, it's very unusual for the athletics to actually go out on the free agent market because typically, you know, they, they really embrace the small market identity of only acquiring through trades and the draft, it seems like. Uh, I mean, they'll, they, they signed Coco Crisp and they've re-signed him just recently. And I mean, they really don't spend more than $9 million a year on a, on a free agent, it seems like anymore. And, you know, so that's why it was intriguing that they were at all even in the play, much less the ones who got him in the end. Um, but it looks like the, the deals that the uh, the Marlins were offering and uh, probably the Cubs and the other teams that were involved were just nowhere near it because he obviously didn't sign with them. Right. Um, 
Now, had you heard the uh, Oakland's name involved in trade talks before the signing occurred? In trade talks or in the or sorry, in, yeah, in in uh, no, no, that's the thing. I hadn't actually. I'd been paying pretty close attention to it because two of the teams that write about the Marlins and the Cubs had both been, you know, deeply involved in the uh, negotiations from what it sounded like. But you know, honestly, I had not seen Oakland cross the radar. I mean, not even. From the outside, would you expect it? Because they had already acquired so many outfielders this offseason. Uh, Steve made a great point of that on the blog today on uh, Fangraphs, talking about how they already have a surplus of outfielders, and it just doesn't seem like it quite terribly fits with them. But at the same time, personally, I think it'll be uh, something that might actually turn out pretty well. But I've been high on Cespedes from the beginning. Right. So now explain why you're so high on him. I mean, I've seen the videos. Um, I think that... Uh, there's a question about what his defensive home might be. Uh, yeah, it's it's reported that that he's you know he certainly has played center field. It, he's reportedly fast and quite athletic, but he's also not. Uh, I mean, physically, he doesn't look like a center fielder. And well, I mean, that's a tough thing because you know to, to take an example for of a of a Cub here, Marlon Bird looks like a middle linebacker more than he looks like a center fielder, but he actually can play center field pretty decently. So. It's hard to just go off of the looks whether somebody can play center field or not. But in general, I would say that whether he, I mean, in terms of me being high on Cespedes, I only say that in the fact that I honestly believe he can be two to three wins. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star necessarily, but that he can very well earn that contract that he has. And if he can do it with some power, he could actually net the Oakland Athletics pretty decent prospects after a year or two when they're ready to trade him. So, I mean, as he points out they've got Colin Calgill and a couple of other really interesting outfield prospects in their system as it is, and they're all a bit younger than Cespedes, so it makes sense for Oakland in their situation to think about a trade in the near future. So whether it's uh, Cespedes or Crisp or even Seth Smith that they look at trading down the line, it doesn't really matter because I think, you know, honestly, all three of those outfielders are probably athletic enough, and you throw in Josh Reddick as well, to play any of the positions out there. So I don't know. It's... It still is a troubling, or not troubling, it's a mysterious trade or acquisition for Oakland, but uh, I still think that it won't be very difficult for Cespedes to, to meet that two-win barrier, uh, which would make a, a positive gain for the athletics. Now, how about this question? Uh, you, you mentioned the glut of outfielders, and of course uh, Steve Slowinski wrote about that today uh, mm. on, on the site. What do you uh, personally envision the uh, Oakland Athletics starting outfield looking like on opening day? And if that doesn't include Suspedes, when do you uh, envision him uh, making his first appearance? I think he will be starting day one. Um, we actually saw, I think, let me see here, it was uh, Buster Olney with ESPN said Suspedes will get a shot to play right away. Uh, so I honestly think that we'll see him opening day. Uh, in the outfield somewhere, whether it's in center or in one of the corner positions. I think it'll be Cespedes, Crisp, and Smith and Gomes in a platoon. But honestly, I think Crisp might be on the shortest leash because uh, Josh Reddick, in my opinion, has the stuff to be an everyday outfielder. He's still a young guy, and since Crisp is going to be in his year 32 or year 33 or age 33 year, that it, it makes sense to start looking younger and transitioning Crisp into maybe a reserve role. Uh, because really, Crisp has had two great years in a row, but before that he's been not as great. So, I don't know, it, it's, 
it, it'll depend on how the season plays out, but I really do think Suspetti is going to be in that opening lineup. Now, here's a here's a question. Um, the A's the A's last year had an outfield uh, generally composed of Josh Willingham, Coco Crisp, um, and uh, and David DeJesus. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the season, all of those players entered free agency, uh, leaving them essentially with Ryan Sweeney uh, and um, and then I guess a couple prospects. You know, maybe Michael Taylor. Uh, would have theoretically, you know, gone to the top of the left field depth chart at that point, and uh, center field, I don't, I don't know precisely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it appeared as though that the uh, that Oakland would be sort of at a loss for quality outfielding. Um, now I don't know if I don't know to what degree they've improved the quality. I mean, they have improved it, but now they have this crazy glut of outfielders, and I'm curious, um, and I, I encourage you to speculate wildly on this matter. Uh, do you think that do you think that the, this was their plan from the beginning, or do you think that they know that they have some openings and they just wanted to uh, acquire a bunch of guys that they thought had some upside and were cheap, and then they and, and then let it, let things sort themselves out from there? I definitely think it's the second. I don't think they anticipated the market playing out like it did. I don't think they, I mean, one of the reasons I believe we didn't hear about the athletics for so long is that they weren't maybe a major player until Cespedes got disenchanted with the Marlins and with whatever the Cubs were offering because, you know, the Marlins were offering basically the same price but with two more extra years of team control and that, that really was not nearly as lucrative as Cespedes probably could have earned with more time. So it makes sense that, you know, they didn't anticipate getting Cespedes but at the same time, you know, I, I think they're just trying to collect assets in the outfield, and that makes some, that, that makes the most sense. Because really, when you look at their their young guys, it is honestly Calgill, in my opinion, the one statistically who looks like he's got the highest upside between Calgill, Carter, and Taylor. And Reddick has the chance of being an average to above average outfielder. But so I mean, it's it's, it's an outfield that really, even though it's kind of a glut. There's not a lot of high upside in, in it, and it's not going to be an outfield that necessarily carries the team, unless you, I mean, Cespedes probably has the highest upside with Calgill, and outside of those two, you're you're sort of hoping and expecting just a, you know, a sliver above average or average production from them, which would be great, because last year, David DeJesus put up a really terrible year, and Willingham was injured most of the year, so anything... Above replacement will be a welcome change, I think. Now, I'm, I'm interested in, in your sort of um, – you seem to, to hold Colin Calgill in, in pretty high regard. I, I know that he's a player that I came across last year because he put up uh, some uh, – now, uh, big caveat, it was in the uh, the PCL. But he mm-hmm. put up some impressive offensive numbers also in terms of sort of more peripheral statistics. Yeah, I think he walked basically as much as he struck out. Uh, and yeah. then I also noted that um, I think uh, in the tools issue that comes out uh, from Baseball America, um, uh, maybe middle of the season approximately, uh, um, PCL managers had named uh, Colin Calgill the best defensive outfielder as well and um, mm-hmm. and perhaps one of the most exciting players too. I, uh, I might be conflating that with another player, but certainly the best defensive outfielder. And so that to me seems like a prospect. Uh, someone who is noted for having excellent um, defensive ability in the outfield uh, and who additionally, if not necessarily a ton of power or, you know, sort of PCL-aided power, 
uh, at least at least plate discipline uh, to put the ball in play and, and maybe get on base. Um, I mean, maybe like you know, like a, a more interesting Connor Jackson at, at some level. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, so that that may that may be interested in, but I really hadn't seen his name floating around uh, that much uh, up till then. And maybe it's just because he lacked a standout tool. I don't know. Do you, do you think that's the case, uh, or why otherwise would he have been? Uh, why would talk or the excitement around him been more muted? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that in 2011 he had a pretty outstanding year. Uh, he had almost a 400 batting average on balls in play, so it was not an entirely sustainable year necessarily. It's not something he's probably going to repeat. But he had, you know, these past two years he's been basically thrashing minor league pitching. Uh, he's not young for his levels, though. He was 24 in AA. He's 25 in AAA. But uh, he, like you were saying, yeah, he's walking almost as much as he's striking out. He's showing great patience for young guy. His on-base percentage has been solid all through the minors. And, I mean, that's kind of the Oakland model. They love the on-base percentage guys. He also is a guy with some decent speed. And I honestly think he might be comparable to B.J. Upton with less speed. Uh, Upton's got pretty incredible speed. But, uh, go, you know, so it's, I think he could easily be – Maybe with time or, or with the right opportunities, a you know four to five win center fielder, which would be great. And you know it all depends on his defense. And we don't have minor league defensive stats like we'd like, but I mean that would still be a really good find. You don't come across that many uh, that many wins in center field just you know randomly. So I think he's definitely the best thing going at the high levels of the Oakland Athletics minor league system. But at the same time. You know, we've got all the contracts already. It, it makes more sense just to let Cal Gill take another year in the minors, see if what he did last year can be repeated this year. And, and even then, though, I mean, in December they were talking about having him compete for a starting dog. So who knows? Maybe he actually still has a chance to beat out Crisp or maybe Smith for a, a starting job. But it's hard to say. I think he's definitely one of those players that uh, will come on late and – Still be very solid, maybe like uh, Andres Torres or oh, okay, uh, yeah, another one of the that, yeah, that's that's an interesting comparable. You know, it's curious uh, that, that the Suspedes, um news came out today uh, because just uh, before the weekend, maybe it was Friday or maybe Saturday, uh, Dan Zimborski, um, who people are most not commonly known as being the uh, proprietor of Zips, the Zips projection system, uh, released mm-hmm. the Oakland A's projections um, and. Uh, it was not a glowing review that he attached to the projections. Um, I mean, it, notably, they uh, the team did not have one batter uh, with a with an OPS plus of 100 or better. I believe Seth Smith, yeah. Smith, 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 uh, Seth Smith um, who was probably projected in a little bit of a platoon even, was a 97 OPS plus, and that was uh, mm. was probably the best player on the team, at least offensively. I mean, relative to position, Kurt Suzuki is probably better, Coco Crisp, but... Uh, yeah, still not still not an offensive juggernaut probably. Do you, you know? I mean, in that in that AL West, do you see them coming anywhere close to competing? I mean, do you think Suspedes changes that, or or do you think that they're still a couple years away? I saw on uh, projections from Oliver. I think it was earlier today, and uh, it was saying Suspedes could be hitting somewhere in the 300 on base percentage, 450 slugging which comes close to that almost 100 OPS plus range. So it's not 
honestly, I it's hard to, to gauge expectations with Cespedes, and that's one of the things I talk about with one of my Fangraphs articles. Uh, yeah, Yoenis. I don't want to say his first name. I just would go with Cespedes and the success. I would say Yoenis. I would say Yoenis probably. Yoenis, Yoenis, Cespedes, and the success of Cuban players was an article I wrote in late January, uh, t- talking about you know previous players who have come over after having successful years in you know Cuba's baseball league, and we have some players like Alexi Ramirez, who wasn't nearly the best hitter in the league in Cuba, comes over and becomes one of the best hitting shortstops in the majors, which you know it's about a uh, 100. WRC plus. So, and we also have guys like Leslie Anderson who did really well for several years in the Cuban leagues and come over and can't even, you know, crack a starting role in AAA. So it's really hard. I think projecting Cuban players is just something that we cannot do because it is so outside of our ability. Uh, at the same time, though, we do have to take into the take into consideration the fact that the low end of these projections have him sometimes much worse than league average, and then sometimes just slightly above it. Nobody's really saying he's going to be a great hitter. So can he help the Oakland Athletics produce an outfield or produce an offense that's going to be, I don't know, <laughs> a winning offense? It's, it's hard to say. Uh, Oakland, it seems like they're constantly rebuilding, it seems like. After, what, 2004, 2003, it just almost stopped Winning, and I don't, I, part of me almost wonders if Billy Bean and company are are deliberately trying to to force the commissioner's hand, saying, "Look, we can't win because our our payroll can't get this high, or or whatever." It, it that seems like a silly way of doing it, but whatever it is, it seems like they're somewhere stuck in between terrible and contention. And I think this might still be the case, but at the same time, the ALS has been kind of weak for the past four or five years. The Angels have been winning the division when it's been, you know, really terrible. So who's to say that they can't actually, you know, make that, who knows, 83-85 win cutoff? For although, the although Bradley, the, the, the Texas Rangers are pretty good. Yes, the Texas Rangers the past few years have been very yeah. good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So they might want to, but, but, you, but you're right about Oakland. It, it is a curious um, space they occupy because – We've seen teams like like the Royals, well, for years, frankly, and and the Pirates as well, um, have horrible seasons, um, but use uh, sort of like three or four years worth of draft picks, uh, you know, to, in the Royals' case, to put together a team including Eric Hosmer and Mike Mike Moustakas and Will Myers, uh, and you know, and in the um, in the Pirates' case, to to draft Garrett Cole and Jamison Talion. Um, and and use those players, you know, to their advantage. Now, whether all the players I just named actually come to fruition, that remains to be seen. But of course, a team that you cover rather closely, the Tampa Bay Rays, um, you know, for all of the uh, intelligence in the front office of the Rays, uh, it it probably would have been harder for them to succeed um, to the degree that they have without uh, you know years worth of uh, of high first round draft picks. And so the point is, Oakland hasn't really been able to take advantage of the. I don't think they've had a 70-win season. Uh, they've just sort yeah. of been mediocre, and that doesn't. You're not really rewarded in, in either direction for that. And that is very true. Uh, that you know, being stuck in that middle ground where you're not 
an obvious rebuilding mode where you're starting terrible people or an obvious win-now mode, you end up getting those middle-round draft picks that, I mean, granted, middle of the first round is, is still going to be really good talent more than likely, but we've seen in the past that the the career uh, war, I always call it war, I think some people call it war, but the career war after the first round really starts to precipitously go down. So if you're not in that you know, that top bunch where your draft picks are, your, are protected and stuff like that, then, yeah, it, it can change the future outlay of your system. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people talk about the Rays as having their success based on the fact they were so terrible for so long, got so many first overall draft picks. But you just look at their roster construction. There's a lot of the team that comes from trades. Um, I was just looking at Craig Robinson's flip-fly ball, flip-flop fly ball book just recently, and he has uh, really great charts and graphs in it, and one of them was talking about the the roster construction of like all the playoff teams for, for one season, and, and by and large, over half your roster is going to be coming from the draft and trades, and almost even, evenly split down the middle for that. It's not always going to be just your draft that builds you. Granted, you know, if you draft well, you're going to have stuff to trade away, but at the same time, you're not always going to have success with your draft picks, and Trading properly and getting the right players is a big impo- big part of that. I, w- I wasn't trying to imply anything specific about the the Rays, Brad. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you seem you seem hurt a little bit. Uh, my 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 pain has to do with other things. My six <laughs> redresses or or things. That well, I- yeah. Let's get the uh, we. Uh, this has been a great conversation about Yonis uh, uh, Spades, but I, I'm interested in. What's the thing on that list that's most interesting and or pressing? Well, the most important thing is the number 46. Ooh. Uh, hmm. Am I supposed to guess, or are you just going to tell us the significance? No, I'm, I'm, you, just, you didn't give me time for my, my pregnant pause. Oh, yeah. The number 46. Yeah. Pause. You, you spoke again. 46. The number of podcasts that you have recorded... Since I was asked to regularly contribute. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, curious. Hmm. Okay, number two. Yeah. My beard has grown one and a half inches since I was asked to regularly contribute on December eighth. Oh, I see what's happening. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah I see. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. Those were the two most important. The the next one is uh, a little note that I scribbled down here in a uh, a text document. I'm no longer scared of Brandon Warren. Judging by his accent, I can win any fight with him by just waiting for hockey to beat the life out of him first. Well, sorry, waiting for hockey to beat the life out of him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon, Brandon Warren, he's got this big, like, northern accent. No, yeah, right. Um, yo, he's funny sounding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and yeah, he yeah. looks like, he looks like he is a stone cold killer though. Uh, certainly. He's very scary looking. Yeah, yeah. Now, in person, uh, that's, that's not quite the case. Um, but yes, I, there is a gree. I don't know if you're familiar with the book by um, uh, Bill Buson or Bill, not Bill Bryson. The, the, that's the book Among the Thugs. Do you know this one? It's about no. a. It's about like a. Uh, it's it, it's a it's a book about uh, uh, football hooliganism, soccer hooliganism. Yeah, and he looks like one of the he looks like one of the thugs as well. Yeah, I yeah, I think I've heard you talk about that before. I think it was on the podcast you you were talking to him. Uh, I'm uh, this is uh, I'm recycling material. 
Oh yeah, so, well, perfect. Yeah, yeah, Bill Buford, that's his name, and uh, yeah, I always recycle material. I, I, I uh, it's for the environment. <laughs> that's good, excellent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, I'm not afraid to do that. Okay, so wait, is that three? Uh, is that three points? Um, that's three points so far. Bradley, okay, yeah. So uh, point or redress? Do you call it redress? I, I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, we'll, we'll use it. Who cares? Who cares? Okay. Yeah. So number number four. Sure. My, uh, you had Dave Appleman on the uh, on the program. Yes, I did. Um, uh, I, um, founder of Fangraphs. Yes. Yeah. And I, I wrote down, <clears throat> my boss, Dave Appleman, does not sound like I expected him to sound. Suffice yeah. it to say, he looks cooler than he sounds, but he sounds less binary than he seems. Whoa. Yes. Yes. I'm gonna need to. I'm gonna need to work. Work. I, I'm, when I listen to this part of the podcast, when I listen to the podcast, I'm gonna rewind mm-hmm. this part. So, if I'm hearing myself right now, it's at least probably the second time I've heard it. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think Winston Churchill has a quote about that. Um, we can remember to look it up uh, when we're done recording. Uh, no, but five. David Appleman's great now. Um, of course, a number of us are going to Arizona for spring training. Are you going to be joining us? Yes, I am going to be there. It'll be really exciting because I, I don't think I've met any baseball bloggers in real life outside of, I think I met a few at a Cubs convention, and I know the guy I founded Cubs Stats with, but that's about it. And and I met those people only because my buddy who I founded Cubs Stats with, his name is Will Smith, he, he demanded that I meet them, and I was so terrified I was tweeting them from across a restaurant, but I was hiding. So, yeah, I, I might have, what is that disease where you're, like, terrified of people? Is that a, is that disease or is that just, like, um, make me a sociopath? Agra, agoraphobia? 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 That's like the fear of germs. Yes, but uh, but uh, if you think of humans as just germ-carrying uh, instruments, then um, it could affect you. That could affect me, but I... I don't think I've showered in days, so I'm pretty sure I don't have agoraphobia. Oh yeah, uh, you might just be—you might just have social anxiety, Bradley. That you know what? I think that's a very realistic possibility. Yeah, but you don't have to worry. Uh, I can guarantee you that, um, in some total, the contributors to Fangraphs, at least the ones who've attended the last uh, two Arizona trips, um, are zero percent intimidating. Um, and That's it is. Good. I will say there is a great feeling of freedom uh, in being able to reference things um, like you know, like war, which I call it war. This is uh, this is a topic of conversation you could literally have all weekend, um, and uh, you could find someone to have it with uh, the, pronun- the correct pronunciation of, of that acronym. Um, and uh, yeah, it's fun going to games uh, with those uh, with those people. Uh, because um, you can make jokes. You'd be like, oh, I wonder what his O-swing is. And everyone's like, oh, my God, that's funny. You mentioned a thing on our site. And uh, it really is a great it really is a great joy, I, I'll tell you right now. Are we, are we going to turn into little, little like, teenage girls, too? Uh, first one to fall asleep uh, gets his bra put in the freezer. That's a fact. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you may think that's funny, but I've had that happen to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, sometimes you walk into a bar, and sometimes the bar walks into you. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Uh, so that's but, point but number good. that's point number four. I well, I look forward to seeing you, um, and that that will be great. When are you going down there? Uh, Friday? That Friday? I I am not actually sure. I haven't checked my like itinerary or whatever. You should con- uh, you should consult it. You could, should consult I, your itinerary. Yeah. yeah, it's coming up. I think I'll be going down Friday, but I might be leaving Sunday or Monday. Okay. I don't, I don't know. That all sounds reasonable, Bradley. Um, point five. Point five, Bradley. Dane Perry makes little sounds like Kermit the Frog. Yes, he yeah. does. Yeah. 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 And yeah. number six is much like number five. When Carson talks to da- when Carson and Dan talk, Dane talk. Carson starts to make little Kermit the Frog sounds too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, a couple of curious uh, notes on that. Uh, one is, um, it, yes, it does not surprise me that I mimic uh, the person with whom I'm speaking. I, I have no personality. I'm sort of like a, a Zelig character. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that documentary by Woody Allen, but it's a person who sort of becomes a, a lot like. Um, you know, the per- whomever society he's sharing. Um, uh, I'm soulless is what I'm trying to tell you, Bradley, in a polite way. The uh, the other thing is that apropos uh, Kermit the Frog, uh, in fact, my wife has constantly made the charge against me that on the podcast, I that's, ex- that's precisely what I sound like. Yeah. Haven't you done that? No. I'm not your wife. No, no, no. I was yelling at her. To, towards her, oh. not at her, towards, <laughs> towards her supportively. No, it's reported now. You've said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so there it is. There it is, Bradley. But that's true. He does. Dane uh, does have a peculiar way of speaking. And uh, you, on, if you were going to be nice, you could say it was. Um, well, I, I think that, I think that in more ways than one uh, is what I mean to say. In more ways than one, talking with Dane Perry is is infectious. Mm. Yeah. You ever heard of a double entendre? Yeah. 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 That's what I mean by that. I mean that <laughs> the talking with Dane Perry is infectious. Oh, uh, speaking of which, yeah. listening to him, who he's been on the podcast, I didn't count, but it was something like 20 times since I was promised to be on it regularly. Oh. Uh, <laughs> he, he is on consistently, which has... Convinced me, I need to to get more words bleeped out. So no, no, you don't. I'm. F- <laughs> is that you have to bleep that one out, right? Yeah, I do. I hear my wife sighing in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. Well, I mean, you know, Bradley. Uh, I would let you know what we should have you on regularly. Don't even. I don't even want to be on regularly. Not anymore. Not after this. I quit shaving. I just sat by the phone waiting. Yeah. No. So do you do you actually have a uh, a beard then? Yeah. How's it look? Uh, I I'm being called Young Santa and Abraham around my friends. So. Curious. Okay. Yeah. So it's you have pretty. It sounds like you got a pretty good growth then. Well, I I am a American mutt, which means I have all sorts of ethnicities just swirling around inside of me. Mm-hmm. And as such, I seem to be only capable of growing facial hair like on the bottom of my jaw, and my cheeks are just almost entirely barren. Mm-hmm. So I've got a weird beard growing 
Um, oh, yeah. You got like a Dutch, like a Pennsylvania Dutch thing happening. Kind of, yeah. Well, I've got a, I've got a mustache that I can curl with a little bit of Afro wax. Okay. Which is great. Which I would like to point out Santa and Abraham did not have to the best of our records. Right. All extant images of them uh, um, would suggest that they did not have um, a sort of uh, a Raleigh Fingers-esque mustache. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I I think I'm a man unto myself. Now, do you consider... Um, per- not- uh, are you thinking of uh, preserving said beard for, for the Arizona trip? Yes. I mean, unless, like, somebody tries to hire me before then. It's actually, I stopped shaving, I think, after my last job interview. I yes. just haven't gotten around to, to you know, shaving again. Because I'm like a full-time student now. and you know. Right, you're a full-time student, um, full-time, uh, a full-time remote student, or uh, what do they call this? Um, fake so, student. Fake student, yes. You don't actually yeah. belong to an, an institution. <laughs> you just tell people that. Um, yeah. No, it's called a low-residency um, program. Yeah. Um, I keep being told by commenters that I'm a terrible researcher, so I decided to go out and get a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that way I can just write so well they won't notice I didn't research the piece. Yeah, well, I always do uh, um, I always do look forward um, to your pieces. You know what? We didn't even talk about, Bradley, that we should, uh, we should talk about uh, perhaps next week. Um, is the is the this the um, two post um, uh, sort of mini series you did on um, I guess sort of what we mean by sabermetrics and also what organizations mm-hmm. utilize it because um, that was yeah. a, uh, an interesting um, uh, sort of uh, I guess thought piece is that a word think piece yeah sure yeah uh, mental experiments or yeah not really experiments I'll give it to you. Thank you. Hey, Bradley, this is uh, this has been excellent. It's been re- it's been a real pleasure uh, visiting you and being um, verbally harangued by you. You're very welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye um, on your behalf. I'm gonna say that is Bradley Woodrum, uh, and on his behalf and on my behalf, um, my, uh, me being Carson Testuli, uh This has been Fangraphs Audio. Fuck. <laughs>